Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda, and happy Leo season. We are in some new, beautiful energy. I don't know how you all are feeling, but from what I've heard and from what I experienced, July had a lot stirring up for people emotionally, mentally, a lot of considerations about what we want to do with our lives, um, new projects, new ideas, new directions, all of these things. So hopefully this new season will give us some mm, inspiration <laughs> to really clarify what it is we're all doing. So that aside, I want to tell you that I am really excited about today's conversation. Our guest is one you will recognize. He was here just a few months ago. So his name is Nicholas Pearson. And last time we spoke to him, he talked to us about crystals and his book called Stones of the Goddess. And today he is back to talk to us about Reiki. So he has this amazing book called Foundations of Reiki Roho, a manual of Shodin in Okiden. And when I first heard about the book, I read it, and it was so good that I actually used it for um, my most recent Reiki classes that I taught. So one of the things I want to say before we get into the interview is that I am so thankful that we have this space, that we have this community where all Reiki lineages, all practices are welcome, and that we can come into a space and learn and grow together from each other's stories, each other's experiences, and just share from a space of just love and support. So if you are new to the show, I hope that you get that from this episode and all of the podcasts. All lineages are welcome. Whether you practice, don't practice, just curious, no matter where you are on the path, we are here in this together. So we're going to get in this conversation with Nicholas, and he will be the keynote speaker for the Vermont Reiki Association coming up in October. So if you are someone interested in that, be sure to go to the show description. There is a link for you to find out more information about that. Again, it's in October, and it will be in Vermont. If you are someone who wants to continue your studies with Raven Keys, also a previous guest on the show, she will be coming to San Diego this October for medical Reiki certification training. So if you are a Reiki master, again, of any lineage, and you want to come to this training, go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com, and you can get more information about the class, registration, and accommodations. So that's it for now. I hope that you all enjoy the show and I will see you on the other side. Okay, everyone. So welcome to this episode of Reiki Radio. I'm very excited that we have Nicholas Pearson back. So welcome back to the show, Nicholas. Thank you so much for having me on. I have been looking forward to this since our last chat. Oh, you, me too. <laughs> it's funny because in the last conversation, we, st we spoke about um, one of your more recent books, Stones of the Goddess, which is amazing. And I actually read this book prior to that one. And so this is what we're discussing today, Foundations of Reiki Roho, which is a manual of Shodan and Okiden. Before we get too deep into it, I have to tell you, and I need to write a review on Amazon. Oh. This book was so good that I actually used it for the most recent Reiki class that I taught. 
And I just want to say to everyone listening, this is the Reiki book you need if you're a practitioner or again, it can be used for classes. So I have to ask you, first of all, what inspired you to put this together? Um, for exactly the reason you just mentioned, this is my classroom textbook. I had been using other people's manuals, mm -hmm. um, and there are lots of really wonderful ones out there, but they didn't necessarily reflect the content and the character of my own courses. So um, the whole foundation of the book began with uh, a little handout that I would give my students on Biosyn. Mm -hmm. um, and between experiential material and things that I learned in class and research I'd done. It was just so pivotal to the therapeutic context of Reiki that I, I wanted to give people additional stuff without making them go out and buy extra books. And then that gradually turned into more and more material and the stack of papers got bigger and it wasn't just about Biosyn anymore. <laughs> so right. um, it, it finally occurred to me that maybe I should kind of pull back from teaching for a moment and focus on putting together the textbook I wish I'd had when I learned Reiki. So I can use that to give other people that experience when they learn Reiki. Let me tell you why I loved it so much. And I, again, I thank you for writing this book and taking the time to put all of this beautiful material together. Because just in reading it, I thought like, what a feat that must have been to compile this beautiful body of work. And, you know, um, for, a lot of us, you know, there are different lineages and teachings within Reiki, and I've studied Western and traditional. So to see what you've included in this book is just amazing. And that's why I think everyone should read it. So I wanted to back up a little bit so that people who are practitioners or just curious about Reiki can be in on this conversation. So just starting with the word Reiki in of itself. Yeah. You have a beautiful definition and explaining the meaning of the word in the book. So could you share with us what Reiki means technically, but then also what it means to you? Sure. Um, so, you know, if we just type the word Reiki into Google, the first definition we're probably going to see is universal life force or universal life energy or something along those lines. And I think that's a really nice way of encapsulating the key in Reiki, but it doesn't really talk about the ray. So, um, you know, ki is something that is a part of everyday speech in Japan. And um, it's the same character that we use in Chinese, right? The word chi, which is like prana or life force. But it also means breath and mind and the essence and our spirit. Um, it can imply something related to our mood. And ki is such an everyday expression that they do. There are many different kinds of ki. There's uh, ninki, the key of people, which we call popularity. There's tenki, the, the key of the heavens. That's their word for weather. We have genki, your original energy, which is health. Um, so key is not some nebulous concept that only the woo-woo people talk about. It's everyday life in Japan. So naturally, if there's so many different expressions, so many different um, characteristics that key can embody, we've got different forms of it. And so leiki in particular, is what we use in our modality, Reiki Ryoho, which means Reiki healing method, Reiki healing art. And Lei is a little bit harder to peg, peg down. It is something that is numinous, something miraculous, something mysterious. Um, if we use a, a, a Japanese to English or even Chinese to English translator, we're gonna get words like um, uh, miraculous, mysterious, soul, ghost, uh, a, a funerary pyre or coffin. Um, you're going to see other worldly spirits like um, 
elvish kind of things that would pop up, something that is ancestral. It can also mean something intelligent or bright or effective. So Reiki is energy that is all of these things. It is a mysterious or miraculous energy. It is um, the energy of the soul or the spirit itself. It is universal because that kind of energy is present in all aspects of creation, the heavens, the earth, and everything in between. Um, and it's effective because it works on that soul level. And also it's intelligent because it works on that soul level. So Lei is this really complex character. And when you, you look at the cover of the book, you see, see that character up here and then the key at the bottom. But that, that top part is, uh, you know, it's, it, this word in Japanese is made of three parts. The uppermost is the radical or the root. That means rain. So that uppermost line is the, the heavenly realms, the spiritual um, plane. And we have these little raindrops falling. And of course, we're not talking about literal rain. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't... Um, this isn't a pictograph that's depicting something we can see. Most of us don't look into the world and see our souls to see the numinous. That's the whole point of this kind of character. So it's an ideograph. It represents a, a complex idea that they've got to paint a picture about. So we know it's something that comes from the uppermost area and it descends down. Now those three boxes in the middle, um, I mean, one of those boxes traditionally is the word for uh, mouth, guchi in Japanese. Um, together, you know, it's often translated as being like a repetition of the mouth, like we're repeating or chanting something over and over again. But uh, more accurately, this is um, actually a, like a contraction of a more complex character called utsua, which means vessel or container. So it's got to be a receptacle that catches that heavenly rainfall. Right. Poetically, this is our body. We are that vessel to receive that spiritual blessing that is our soul, that is spirit. And underneath, we have a, a more archaic term. Um, which in Japanese is really only used in one context today in a compound word, Niko. It's the me, the Niko. It's the female attendant at a Shinto shrine. But originally, the, the, the me part of that was the Wu character of, of the Han dynasty in China, which means shaman. Um, it's an intermediary, someone who moves on behalf of another person from this realm to the next to retrieve healing, to retrieve energy, information. Um, and, and to sort of be that spiritual influence. So Reiki, therefore, is the energy that empowers us to be that same intermediary, to open ourselves up to become that empty vessel and receive the blessings from heaven. Now, can I tell you how um, beautiful, I, that's one of the things I think I appreciated most after um, studying with two teachers that are more traditional. So one teacher we share, um, our Java Petter, and then also Franz, I also studied with him and they both spoke of this. And I think that that just exactly what you described, it changes, it changes for us or it changed for me anyway, what race Reiki is. I mean, yeah. outside of the standard definitions that we hear and just even that um, taking away the control or the expectation that we're doing something mm -hmm. and being that empty vessel. Absolutely. You know, it's it's the art of doing nothing right right so i wanted to ask you as well um because again in the book you mentioned that you mentioned four teachers in the beginning so i wanted to first have you share with everyone how you found reiki what drew you into this practice and then even the benefit if any that you found in having multiple teachers yeah um you know my first teacher um has since retired from teaching reiki um, she just got to that point in her life where that was the, the next chapter. Um, it was Patricia Williams. She initiated me into a style of Reiki that is propagated by the International Center for Reiki Training, 
Um, so it's that Usui Tibetan style. Um, and she herself was half Japanese, her mother's from Okinawa. So she had this um, context that I think a, a lot of available teachers in the West didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she'd, she'd read all the available books on Reiki and done whatever supplemental research she could do. And I, I remember, a, apart from just the the devotion and love that she had for Reiki, the thing that stuck with me most is how much time we spent talking about the Gokai mm-hmm. in that first class, um, probably an hour or so. And she said, you know, most Western Reiki teachers might give you a little piece of paper that says, here are the five principles, you know use them. And that's it. But we, we really went into it. She taught us how to say them in Japanese. I already had this love of Japanese culture and language and spirituality. So it, it, it dovetailed perfectly, but she planted the seed in me that I wanted to like unravel and I wanted to understand, I wanted to really see where Reiki come from. And that's kind of what, what drove me to continue doing that work. Um, in 2009, I uh, received the initiation into a Takata style lineage. Um, and uh, for those of you who are listening who may not know, Mrs. Takata was the, um, the most pivotal Reiki teacher in Reiki history, apart from the founder, of course, by bringing Reiki outside of Japan. And I went to Tokyo in Japan to receive initiation <laughs> into this lineage um, because my, my life is a little backward sometimes. Um, and it was not a lot of in-depth training. She knew I was going to come back and finish my training with Patricia in the ensuing weeks. So it was a little bit more of a formality than anything. Um, and then uh, some years later, I got a chance to study Jikiden Reiki with um, all my uh, local friends and colleagues here in Central Florida. Her name is Cindy Myers, and she's a, a Shihan with the Jikiden Reiki Kenkyu Kai. Um, and uh, I also studied with Arjava, uh, Frank Arjava Petter, who's the vice representative of the Jikiden Reiki Institute. And most recently, actually just last month, um, so this is post-publication, I also studied Komyo Reiki. So, um, you know, I think the value of having more than one perspective is that we are multidimensional people. Reiki is a multidimensional tool. Um, It's really helpful to see things through more than one lens, to filter Mm -hmm. things through more than one set of personal bias, because um, one, it helps us identify our own bias. And two, it helps us kind of take that out of the picture so we can see how things line up broader spectrum. I myself am an armchair academic. I don't have any credentials to my name for that, but even though you took me out of academia, you couldn't take the academia out of me. So um, having that repetition, being able to study things um, um, like the, the morphology of the, the ritual of Reiki, the, um, the, the deeper teachings and history teachings, the secret teachings, um, that's really helped me um, broaden the scope of my practice, but right. also narrow my focus to where I really want to spend my time and energy. And I really did a lot of soul searching to take out those sort of westernized um, add-ons that were so valuable to me in the very beginning. Um, but it's it's the decomplexification. How's yeah. that for a Western word, right? Right. Instead of just saying simplification. <laughs> um, it's not enough to just make it simpler. It's we have to take away the the sort of synthetic complexity that Reiki has accrued in the West because um, you know when 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 Reiki was divorced from its parent culture in a time and a place when it was hard to be Japanese, um, other other things kind of stood in place for um, the 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 Japaneseness of the system. And mm-hmm. after Takata Sensei passed away in 1980, um, a lot of people did a lot of searching to try to fill in gaps, and you know they. They did the very best they could with the tools they had, but we know better now. So, um, you know, a big part of my mission is helping unite Eastern and Western branches of Reiki 
um, helping us reconcile how the form of practice may look different, but it mm -hmm. is the same soul. I'm so glad you say that um, because again, I had teachers in both styles and multiple styles actually. And um, within the community, there is often a rigidness about which one is right, which one is better, this, that, and the third. And it's so interesting to me. And when people ask me my opinion, I tell them that, you know, I think that kind of, it goes against what the practice is about and of itself, like yeah. all of this comparison. So, but it's nice to hear you say that one system that you learned, it served its purpose and you learned from that. And while mm -hmm. you learned other things and may have made adaptions, it still all served its purpose yeah. for you. And that's a beautiful message. So I have to ask you though, um, because I thought it was great that you point that out in the book as well, that what was traditional was adapted by Takata mm -hmm. for a Western audience. And I think a lot of that is even lost or we don't consider that there mm. were cultural differences, not just between the West and Japan, but also that time period yeah. versus modern day. So was that very important to you? Is that part of why you go so deep into the history mm -hmm. and making sure we understand foundation? Absolutely. Uh, you know, context is king when it comes mm -hmm. to something like this. It's not enough to just look at Japanese culture today. It's not enough to look at Japanese spirituality at large. We need to, to really understand where Reiki has come from and therefore where it's taking us. We have to be looking through the light with the right filter um you know uh we, we know pretty definitively where usui was raised where he went to school at least in his early life what his religious affiliations were there's a lot of things we can't fill in but you know if we want to interpret things through um you know amikyo an esoteric buddhist filter um, outside of the context that he might have practiced it's going to give us a different depiction of reiki mm -hmm. if we want to use um you know a different kind of uh, uh linguistic interpretation of these terms you know the the japanese language has simplified its its writing system in the years since usui was around and and today so you know even modern day dictionaries can give us different meanings for the same characters or write the characters in different ways that lose some of their linguistic and etymological associations so um getting to the heart of context is really important and there's so many researchers out there who who get a japanese context <laughs> but it's not necessarily the context that usui, masa, usui himself may have used so um i think the the closer we get to that, the, the better it helps us understand the how and the why of what we do. It's, it's not required that we practice the same um, form of Buddhism. It's not required that we um, engage in whatever other ascetic practices that he may or may not have done on that mountain. Um, it's, it's just helpful for us as human beings to understand another human being and that person's motivation if we, if we kind of relate to his life in some way. Yeah, and you did a beautiful job with that. And I would recommend for anyone who is curious about the history or wants an updated version, because just as you show, people are continuing to learn about Yusui's life and researching and digging and going to Japan and all of these things. So what you have in the book is um, a nice way for people to understand what's known so far. And I have to ask you about this because you kind of touched on it, the language and how yeah. in um, some of the kanji and even modern or traditional languaging, some things have changed, just like yeah. what you mentioned with Reiki and the Ray having various translations, mm -hmm. right? Um, so this brings me to wanting to talk to you about the Gokai, which yeah. we sometimes call the precepts or the principles. 
I always say I love, it's one of my favorite parts of the practice, right? And um, someone who is currently reading your book, she wanted me to let you know that it's one of the best Reiki books she's ever read. She's a listener of the podcast. And she specifically asked me to ask you about the Gokai. And she loved how you had all of the different translations in the book, various ones, but she was curious to know why, like, why are there so many different variations? And my initial thought was that partially the language, maybe the cultural adaptations, but where does that come from? Um, well, you know, if we if we go back in time to 1920s Japan, we can find two extant versions of the Gokai. Uh, we have one that is, you know, in, in calligraphy and one that's etched in stone on the Suze Memorial Stone. So it was that latter version that was probably the first really seen by a Western person um, and, you know, probably had the, the first translation done. And it uses slightly different terminology than the one we see more traditionally brushed. Um, it was thought for a long time that it was brushed in Usui's original handwriting. It, it turns out maybe the one that we see is a facsimile from um, Ushida Juzaburo, who's one of his um, one of his nineteen shihan or teachers that he taught. Um, regardless, Usui actually expected his teachers to kind of hand brush the Gokai in their own handwriting and use that as a teaching tool. Um, Hayashi Sensei very famously carried it with him even outside of Japan when he taught in Hawaii. There, there are pictures of a big lecture hall with three hundred Reiki students there. And you see the Gokai in writing behind him. And it's uh, an exact copy that the Jikiden Reiki Institute, for example, uses today. Um, but the, the Gokai is the heart and the soul of our practice. I think um, apart from these, these two Japanese versions that we see, we, we experience a, a multitude of different ways of writing it in English because um, we have uh, Takata Sensei propagating Reiki as an oral tradition um, most of her life. And the way she would present that may not be exactly the same for every audience. Um, she's not just translating the precepts word for word grammatically from Japanese into English. She's also translating them culturally from you know, pre-war Japanese culture to you know, middle America right. and the rest of the world. So to do this really involves a reframing of the context, a, a, a not just a, a translation word for word, but a transposition of things that are kind of understood in Japanese culture, things that might need to be spelled out for us, like a really good example. Um, she asks us to earn our living honestly and to respect our parents, our teachers, our elders, our friends, and um, to express gratitude. And she makes something that originally was just about being diligent in your work, encouraging you know, wholeheartedness in your practice, whatever that might look like, mm-hmm. um, and expressing gratitude. And she breaks it down to three principles instead of two. Uh, because that idea of honoring, you know, your in-group, your uchi, we would say in Japanese, is understood. Like, it, that doesn't need to be written down anywhere in Japan because it's, it's as if that's part of your cellular memory. You are, right. You are raised to just understand this. So she writes it out. And there's actually a document from the 1970s. There typed notes on a handwriter that Takata gave out to some of her classes in a very small amount. And, you know, there are the five principles in, in six lines because she makes that extra line in there. Um, and then from there, it's like a game of telephone. Her students weren't allowed to write things down, so they didn't let their students write things down. So things got um, translated from their perspective as well. So part of the reason I put so many in the book, and I actually cut it down significantly, um, I'm not a less is more kind of guy. <laughs> um, I, I chose these because um, they often come from either historic 
um, generations of Reiki practitioners and teachers, people who knew Takata, um, or people who've written um, some pretty influential texts. Um, but also because it, it shows us just how personal the precepts become. It's not just a, a set of instructions we're supposed to blindly follow, but it's something we internalize. Right. And especially for um, speakers of languages other than Japanese, it may be really hard to make the Japanese principles personal. I tried really hard by breaking them down line by line um, in, in the book to help us really understand the ins and outs of what those characters mean. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think we get a lot of value out of just saying the principles in a way that is meaningful to us. Yes, no, it's absolutely true. And it's funny that that's the line that you um, pointed out when I think of uh, Gyo and um, be diligent, all the different ways that it's right. been translated. That was the one specifically that she was asking about. So I'm glad that you actually um, mentioned that. But listening to you speak right now, it also highlights for me um, that I think the beauty of this book in a lot of ways, it does start to crack some of that rigidness that we have in the West with our judgment around the practice, but also giving that gift of tradition so that we do have more understanding of where things come from, but also like honoring and understanding that it does come from another time, another culture, and it has been passed down again and again. So I th do you see it? I feel like it kind of takes us out of so right, so wrong and just right. honoring and respecting where it comes from. Yeah. That's the name of the game here. I mean, um, our practices will never look like what Usui taught his first generation of students. Right. The, and enough time has gone by and that was never written down. It was never documented. They didn't take detailed photographs. There was no you know, video recording done. So we just won't ever have the same practice. Yes. And um, there, there's a part of me that maybe mourns that. And there's another part of me that celebrates that because you know, Reiki isn't about just Usui and his students in his era. Reiki is for us. Reiki is for the generations yet to come. Reiki is for the future. And it's yeah. going to not only help us evolve, but it will evolve with us. And that's the thing too. Um, I liked reading what you wrote in the book because you really <laughs> highlight how it brings forward our true nature, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the practice. And in a lot of ways, and I think it's partial excitement. We want to help everyone else. We want mm -hmm. to, you know, be of service out there. And oftentimes it's lost the work on the self, which is a big part. I mean, we could look at the Gokai and see that, right? Mm -hmm. But um, what have you personally learned or what has changed within you? Anything you've realized through the practice? Oh, you know, so much healing has come to my life via Reiki and um, virtually all of the really important stuff has nothing to do with my physical body. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think this attitude of surrender that we get when we really um, practice Reiki from an authentic space is probably the, the biggest healing I've ever experienced. Um, you know, the modern world, not just in the West, but all over has us facing deadlines. We become slaves to the clock, to the almighty dollar, or insert your currency of choice here. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we forget how to just be. And Reiki is an opportunity to just be. It, um, you know, that, that, that particular line from the precepts coming back again, yo o hagime, mm -hmm. you know, um, work and diligence. There's no verb in this sentence 
if we call it that in Japanese. Um, it's it's not about you know earning an honest day living by clocking in and doing your job as best as you can and going home and starting over the next day. It's about working on yourself, working on your contribution to the world. It's about being as present as you can, which is often not by doing, but by being. So I have to bring this up then too. I um, When we think about what Reiki is called, maybe in long form, right? Like sure. Shinshin, Kaizen, Yusui, Reiki, yeah. Roho. And if we think that this is meant to be a healing method for heart, mind, and body, by the way, like heart, mind just jumps out at me, that in yeah. of itself. But I think that's what's so interesting about it is how much our perspectives change. It's our mind that changes in so many ways through this practice. So I have to ask you about that, the heart, heart, mind, and body. What does that mean for you to hear that heart, mind? Um, You know, this is definitely a a concept that in the West we struggle with. There's, there's no two ways about it. We're not good at, at allowing our hearts and our minds to be, all together. Um, on, on a totally unrelated topic, I was just having this the same conversation in another interview earlier today. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so um, this is something that I think is really uh, important for us to address, as especially as Western people. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, in in Japanese, we have one word that implies both our heart and our mind, and that's the metaphorical heart as well as our physical heart. It's called uh, kokoro. It's also pronounced shin and kokoro and jin, and we can probably come up with a couple others if we look real hard, but um, it looks like this. So, kokoro. Um, Originally, that was a a pictograph of an actual physical organ of a heart once upon a time. It's it's evolved over time, like our own, you know, Latin letters have. Um, But kokoro is um, kind of, in a sense, the essence of our whole nature. So in the West, we, we keep heart and mind on separate boxes and separate right. shelves, and we, we, we only consult one at a time. But if we go to Japan or to China or to other places, um, we often see that there's no dichotomy here. The heart and the mind are one unified entity. So uh, you know the, the blessing here is that when we're in a space where we put the heart and mind unity first and foremost, we have to unlearn the behaviors that separate the different pieces of ourselves. We've mm. learned to break down these walls and we often do it with stillness. You know, when we call the system, it's formal titles you mentioned in Japanese as Shin Shin Kaizen, Usui Reiki Ryoho. Um, so Shin Shin means heart mind, it's the kokoro, and then the other Shin means body. So um, Kaizen is to improve. So it's the Usui Reiki healing method for the improvement of our heart mind and our physical body, but that heart mind comes first. Um, we know from early writings on Reiki, from Usui himself, that if we focus on our, our spiritual well-being, our psychological well-being, the physical body gets better. So a mm-hmm. lot of what we do in Reiki is really aimed at that underlying infrastructure for wellness in our lives. It's not just a laying on of hands to make inflammation go away or um, to help uh, with pain management. It's not just for that sort of symptomatic level it's meant to help take us into the experience of our true nature. That's what our, that's what Nike is. It is our innate divinity. It is the energy of the heavens and earth. It is the energy of our very soul, a spark of the divine that is within us at all times. And when we make space to practice that laying on of hands, if we're not distracted, we'll have that experience, even though it might not have been our goal. That's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. 
You know, um, hearing you say that, it reminds me, I always say when people ask me what helped me trust my practice, and I say this is very true, is it finally clicked when I stopped trying. Because mm. initially I was trying to do Reiki. Yeah. And yeah, and it, I, I will never forget this one session. I was frustrated with not trusting and trying so hard. And I literally went in like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I just don't care. And I put my hands on the person completely detached from the situation. And that's where I had the most amazing, beautiful experience. And that taught me really about being the empty vessel. I couldn't get in the way, which I was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you about as well. Um, I feel like we're doing like a crash course on this book because we only have <laughs> you for a short period of time and there's just so much beautiful information. So I want to make sure to ask you all the things that people <clears throat> commonly ask about that you do address in the book. So lineage, we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but mm -hmm. I want to ask you about um, lineage in terms of finding a teacher, which you do write sure. about as well. This is a big question. People want to make sure they're taking the right Reiki. So what is your thoughts about this? Um, you know, I, I do my best to, to live and practice the politically correct answer, which is there are so many different systems and styles of Reiki out there because there's so many different human beings and the right person will be drawn to the right practice. Um, you know, that being said, there are, there are a lot of things that no longer resemble Reiki that still have that title attached to them. And right. that, that always makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, that's, that's for someone else to figure out. That's not my practice. So I don't have to really spend time there. Um, but, you know, if you are looking for a Reiki teacher and, um, you know, I would first take inventory of what's important to you mm -hmm. in, in a spiritual teacher. Cause you know, Reiki is a spiritual practice. Yes, it's a therapeutic practice as well. But um, so what are qualities that you would want to have in, in a spiritual teacher? Um, what are principles you would like to see them embodying in everyday life? What kind of uh, form of practice resonates with you? Do you want something that's real loose and unstructured? Or do you want something that's a little bit more formal and rigid? Um, some people do really well with structure. So um, there, there are practices that will support all of those things. Um, I think it's always good to do your research. Um, you know, if you can find reviews of teachers, um, if you can chat with their students, if you can come to a Reiki circle or share that they offer to the public, those are great ways to get um, acquainted with their form of practice. But, you know, at the end of the day, Reiki is a real teacher. Your lineage does not make you a better or worse Reiki practitioner. Um, you know, having six people in your lineage does not make you a more effective healer than having 60 people in your lineage. Right. Um, it is not by lineage alone that we are better or worse than it is only by practice so at the end of the day we show up for class we receive initiation we learn a form of practice devote yourself yeah. to that form of practice and it will serve you and it if there's something open it really does mm -hmm. and maybe you're going to find that not every reiki class not every um every way of presenting Reiki um, will fit in with your perfect, your personal worldview or maybe with the historical context that we have now about Reiki. Right. It's okay to do your own research. It's okay to, to adjust what you've learned to, to meet the, the knowledge that we have available to us now. It's totally acceptable to, to learn Reiki from someone else too. I think maybe 80, 85% of the students I have uh, have already taken Reiki one way or another at some point right. in their life. And, you know, whether it's a refresher or a, total relearn for them um i i, I see value in, in repetition and 
in you know most of the traditional arts in Japan you repeat things a lot yes yeah and you know that's something I enjoy like one of uh, two of my teachers our Java and Franz both were here this year and I resat both classes because of the same thing with that said it does crack you open and so I agree with you um after classes when I think a lot of times the real magic happens because we get the foundation and we get the information, 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 but your practice is what brings you in. It's yeah. what gives you that understanding that's not going to be in the book, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Takata Sensei stressed this, let Reiki teach you. It's one of her most famous injunctions. We have to get out of the way. We have to allow it. Let Reiki do it. Reiki is the teacher, not the human being presenting Reiki to you, not the book you're reading, not the course you're taking, Reiki itself. Um, and then Reiki is teaching you. So yes. the way it teaches you will be different than the way it teaches me because it is through that personal, almost unspeakable relationship, that, that private, personal Gnostic experience of Reiki. That's the real teacher. That's the magic. Yeah, it, it's so true. And it's one of those things, it's like you can tell someone, but I always tell people the only way you're going to really get it is to give yourself the experience. So practice sure. your practice. Um, I have to ask you about as well, the symbols, of course. Mm. This is a big one. Um, <laughs> I love that you go into so much depth about um, the background. I have to tell you, my favorite initially was um, when I took a class and heard the story <clears throat> about the second symbol. Mm. And the connection with the Amida Buddha and Senju Kanan, yeah. like, fell in love just because of the story. But um, what you shared, even about the first symbol, I think is very helpful and will be of interest to people. Because there's a lot of confusion around that mm -hmm. symbol, about which yeah. way it's drawn, where it comes from, this and that. So was that something that you were taught along the way? Or did you have to do extra research to learn about both. these? Yeah. Yeah, both. Um, uh, my, I can, I can remember reading about the symbols and the very first manual I was ever given in class and there was about a paragraph, maybe two on each one. Um, and the, you know, the rest of the day was really meant for the experiential part, which there's, there's this great beauty in that, mm -hmm. but it leaves a lot of questions like, well, what does this really mean? You know, could you write this in Japanese for me? So we know we're translating these words correctly. Um, there, there really can be a lot of confusion there. So um, you know, if we look at like the, the first symbol, um, and I, my, my understanding of this continues to evolve. So I, I recently had some additional training with uh, Hyaku Jin Sensei, who's the founder of Kamiode Gido. Um, and he provided a couple little historical details um, that, that are enriching my experience of this. So, you know, if we look at the, the way this symbol was brought into the West via Takata, she learned it from Hayashi Sensei. So Hayashi taught it in a way um, that, that spiraled in one direction. Um, and um, Takata was also familiar with another symbol that maybe moved in the opposite direction. And mm -hmm. in her classes, we see evidence that these two things fused over time. So this is something that I've learned in the intervening years from writing the book and you know, now. Um, so uh, we kind of see how that even, even the name of the symbol is reflective of something that is cultural, you know, not unique to Reiki. The application of it to Reiki is totally unique. Um, you know, out, of, out of respect for all that, I'm not given all the Japanese here. So, you know, read the book, take a class. Um, I know that sounds really vague, but um, there's, there's so much depth. This is the simplest of all the symbols to draw. 
Um, you know, it's one continuous movement. Mm -hmm. We can do it without, you know, lifting a brush from from the paper or pen from paper. And um, yet at the same time, we see the greatest amount of variation in the way it is drawn, um, probably because it's so simple. And I think at the end of the day, Reiki doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, there is value in in tradition. We have something we call the, the inertia of tradition or the inertia of the past. If we do this in a way that honors and acknowledges and builds upon the generations who've done this before us, what we do has more weight to it. There, there are more practitioners in the world to use Takata-derived symbols than, than any other set of them. Yeah. So it's, that's what I teach in my class. I might, I might um, give counterpoint. I might talk about how it differs from other versions I've learned and seen. But mm -hmm. you know, in my classes, I teach Takata-style uh, symbols because that's the easiest thing to find. And we can also document that. You know, there, there mm -hmm. are pictures that her students have taken. There are, you know, copies that they've made in class that slipped through the cracks. So we, we can verify that. We can't, as Westerners outside of Japan in this year, verify what Usui's symbols looked like. We, we know pretty good what Hayashi's, Hayashi's symbols look like. Um, but, um, you know, ultimately, I think when it comes to using the symbols, it's great to, to get that sort of cause and effect relationship, like my first book that I read shared with me draw mm -hmm. the symbol, you get this effect. But I'm a why kind of guy. Like, tell me yeah. why. What's really happening? Mm -hmm. And when we spend time in that space, if we understand the mechanism, we can predict the outcome when we apply it to a different situation. Oh, well, if I draw this symbol when I do this, what's really happening? So I learned that first symbol is the power symbol. And um, Doi Hiroshi is the founder of Gendai Reikiho, the modern Reiki method of healing. He calls it the focus symbol. And I think the end result is the same. We experience when we draw the symbol more, more power, more energy where we draw it. Mm -hmm. But rather than, you know, making more energy flow through you into that spot, what we're really doing is kind of condensing that scattered focus of, of energy from the whole universe to this one spot. That spiraling shape of it is like a, a target. And wherever we draw it is saying, put the Reiki here. Yes. And Takata herself used to um, maybe not translate, but poetically describe the action of the symbol as, um, put the power here. And that's and really what it feels like. I think um, with this, what you're saying, and also that you share in the book, what I love so much about that section of the book is you highlight the importance of coming into our own relationship with these symbols. Because mm -hmm. I think what happens sometimes, and I know this from classes I've taken, as well as talking to practitioners from all different lineages, a lot of times um, the principles as well as the symbols are taught as these things that are outside of us mm. like there's really no relationship to them they're just these yeah. things that you use or these things that you say but the beauty of what you write about is that reminder that all of it all of the tools still point back to you and that you can come into relationship with these symbols you have a relationship with the gokai all of these things and i have to tell you um a few i don't know earlier this year I did a challenge to people saying, sit with each of the symbols, like one a day and notice your relationship to it, meditate on it and journal, like what comes up for you in this experience. And with the first symbol specifically, I had an interesting experience because I did the challenge too, where it felt like a deep coming into myself, but then also like this, I experienced it as this guide of coming into your true nature 
But then once you come in, harnessing that, connecting with that, deepening that relationship, and then spiraling back out as your expression. So it was like an in and an out and in and an out, yeah. you know? But yeah, I think that is um, so beautiful that you do talk about the importance of relationship. Mm. Yeah, we we sometimes forget that these external things are not really the end all and be all. This isn't um, simply a therapeutic tool that I apply to achieve a specific measured outcome. Right. You know, these are catalysts for profound change. So we have to internalize it for, for that process to take place. Well, I don't want to go all over the place because again, I mean, there's so much in this book and I want to ask you a couple of personal questions really quickly, sure. but I do want to highlight for people, the reason I genuinely think this book is great for practitioners, teachers, anyone curious about Reiki is because you really do touch on all of these different aspects that are very foundational and you do provide the research and the history and so much information that helps us to understand in a deeper way. And I think it gives us a different type of respect for it. Like even you talking about explaining like Kotodama and breaking down the Gokai, no matter what lineage you've studied, whether you learned it or not, it's going to be in this book and this will help you with your practice. So genuinely get this book. <laughs> I'm going to put a link. I'm going to put a link for it in the um, show description. So I have to ask you though, um, you are a practitioner and a teacher. Is that right? So what about the practice made you come to the space of like wanting to share? Why Reiki? Oh, man. Um, so I grew up with a, a pretty severe anxiety and panic disorder. And I tried so many different ways to manage that. I took the conventional allopathic medical route. I was seeing counselors and therapists. I was doing other things that you're supposed to do. Right. especially as a young person when you don't have all the wisdom yet. Um, and at the same time, I was using my holistic methods to, to manage things along the side. And there were a lot of really great tools. But the one that changed my life in no uncertain terms was Reiki. And I remember the first time when I started to feel that familiar rise of, of, of anxiety kind of burbling up from deep within me, I just placed my, my palms heart and you know right under my rib cage my solar plexus like my favorite default place to give myself reiki specifically because of this experience mm -hmm. and it was like i it was like taking a, a pot of boiling water or just about to boil water off of a, a hot stove and the bubbles kind of receded and it was just calm mm -hmm. and that that experience of being able to do that with my bare hands without needing a particular gemstone, a flower essence, a homeopathic remedy, having to pop a pill. Like I didn't need any of those things. It was within me. And I wanted other people to realize that they didn't need all those external tools as well. I mean, yes, we, we take, we require the training. We've got, we've got the other tools in the toolbox of Reiki, but once you hand it over that box, you don't need anything else. Um, everything we need to practice the system of Reiki, we receive in our first class. Everything else makes it easier. We, we don't require the symbols to do a good job of Reiki. We don't require the ability to pass on initiations to others. We don't require the ability um, to do the, the Gyuho, the self-development exercises. It, it's all right here. And that stillness we get from laying on of hands, maybe from reflecting on the Gokai, 
and that's it. So it affected my life so profoundly. Um, you know, I went from, you know, an average today with an average day was 15 or 20 anxiety attacks, panic wow. attacks, um, to five or fewer a year for many years, wow. um, which is a really significant decrease. Um, it wasn't all Reiki, but Reiki was a big part of it. Right. Um, that that's life-changing. That was like, I got control of my life for the first time ever. And it was just immense. So that's, that's why I want to share that. I think that's something you said in the book and I wrote it down because I thought it was so beautiful. I think you mentioned that's what Reiki was to you. It was something that helped you um, regain or gain control of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's the opposite of the way we try to control our lives in Western mm -hmm. culture, which is grabbing things by the reins and forcing it to go the way you want. I'm going to power through this. It's, it's control through surrender. It's, it's mm -hmm. the opposite of what we are instinctively trying to do. Right. You know, listening to you say that right now too, it reminds me, and I have to tell you this about the book. Another thing I appreciate is it just, there was no bias. And even though you have obviously a deep affinity for tradition and the history and understanding a lot of the foundational principles and information, you also touch on some of the things that have come out of Western practice, but you deliver it all in a way, again, that it just, there's no bias at all in your writing. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing. Even something like you acknowledge that, you know, uh, working on the chakra system sure. maybe wasn't part of traditional um, Reiki practice, but you also point to where there may have been a practice of working on the Dandian, the lower, upper, and middle. But then mm -hmm. at the back of the book, you also go into detail, like mm -hmm. the energies of the different chakras. So it's such a beautiful book, again, for any lineage. I mean, no matter what you practice, just understanding the practice from a modern lens, but also understanding how that modern lens came to be. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Because I have to tell you, Nicholas, the truth is, um, with everything that I've studied over time, I was looking for this. Like, this mm. is the book I was looking for. And I got really frustrated and wanted to create a manual as well. But mm -hmm. listen, I don't have this kind of patience, nor would I have <laughs> done it so beautifully. I mean, this is just so beautifully done. So when I tell you, I deeply appreciate it. Like, you can't imagine. I love this book for multiple reasons. Thank you. That, that means the world to me. I, I love each and every one of the books that I've written. Um, they are all very meaningful to me in different ways, but because of what Reiki has done for my life, my, my kind of selfish, but not totally goal in writing this book was to give something back to Reiki. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the, the scholarly work that went into tracing all this stuff and backing up the claims that I'm making and, you know, verifying this piece of historical data and watching this evolution, um, all of that was something that I'm hoping will, will serve people, not just in a practitioner sense, but in a, a more academic sense for people to carry that baton. Um, I really wanted to do something that I, I felt did right by Reiki. And, you know, there's... There's room for improvement all the time. Um, I, I've found things that I definitely will go back and fix in subsequent printings and future editions. Um, but um, thank you for sharing that because it was truly a labor of love. Yeah. Oh, you can tell. I mean, but quite frankly, I mean, your first, well, not the first book, but the first 
or the other book of yours that I read, Stone of the Goddess, just as gorgeous. I mean, obviously, this is a gift of yours to author books, clearly. So but I am so <laughs> appreciative for this one, obviously, because of, you know, personal interest. And one last thing I have to ask you before we let you go, um, the subject of initiation and attunement. Mm. Two things. The woman who emailed me about your book, um, she said that you gave the most beautiful description of how Reiki works. And I agree. But I also found it um, very helpful the way that you explain initiation and attunement because there was a lot of question and confusion around this. And a lot of people wonder, like, does it matter if you're in person, if it's remote? You address Mm -hmm. all of that and it's beautifully done. But what stood out to me is in your describing the initiation or attunement process, you point to it being almost like this activation of what already exists within. Yeah. So could you just talk a little bit about that? Because oftentimes there's an idea that something is given to you that doesn't exist in you yet. Yeah. And, you know, this is where, this is where we, we run into problem with the language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the word we use to describe this process, this ritual, this procedure um, in Japanese is reiju. It's the same day that's in Meiki. So, you know, we're talking about that numinous force and ju is um, a, a giving. It's a very formal kind of giving. Um, so it's a gift from soul to soul. But here's the thing. You, you can't, you can't be given something like this because it's there. You know, if, if Ray is, you know, um, in a sense, universal, if it is effective, if it is spiritual, um, if it is intelligent, then it's in the fabric of the whole cosmos. It is the energy of the heavens and the earth and everything in between. I mean, it's there. So mm-hmm. I prefer the word initiation because an attunement sounds like we are, we're tuning the frequency on a radio. We're changing something there. Initiation, on the other hand, is that initial experience of the Reiki within us already. Um, the, the goal of Deju is not to give you something you don't have, but to make it easier for you to access this mm-hmm. so you can continue the practice. Um, Deju has this purifying effect on our, our, our whole being, physically and non-physically. So, um, you know, when we talk about initiation versus attunement, initiation is, is that, that uh, crossing of the threshold to the mysteries and you know the thing about the spiritual teachings of the world the mystery traditions of the world um generally speaking the biggest mysteries are are things that we could put into words so simply that we take them for granted or so profound there are no words to express them and reiki is both of those things at once so um yeah that that initiation is is holy it is sacred it's what really sets it apart from other healing systems that are out there or spiritual practices that are out there um i think it's a gift that we should respect accordingly um you know takata was was known to have practiced long distance initiation a very small number of times under mostly very extraordinary circumstances um and it was not her norm uh we don't know that she ever learned this from hayashi sensei we don't know that he ever learned it from usui sensei i mean i would wager no um uh, takata did begin to innovate at some point but um you know, her, her preference was definitely not to do it this way. And, you know, when, when asked, you know, can we do it long distance? Well, you can, but you also can stick a fork in an electrical outlet, but it's, it's not the best thing to do. Right. So um, there are better ways to go about it. So I I really hope that for anyone who's kind of weighing those options, should I do this 
in person? Should I do this? Um, you know, long distance. I'm, I'm not going to discourage you from doing it long distance, but I do hope you'll also follow up with, with an in-person teacher. Um, I, I'm not going to qualify one being more powerful or less powerful than the other, but I think it's a respect thing. We, we respect tradition, we respect Reiki um, by, by following certain guidelines and they're there for yeah. a reason. It's, it's a mysterious thing. It happens soul to soul. It doesn't happen screen to screen. And that's the thing too. I think you hit it. Um, just the simplicity of, you know, giving yourself the experience, you know, if you're questioning, go and have the experience. And if you've done it remotely before, go have it done in person and just notice if there is a difference in the experience that you have. Um, I do them only in person, but you know, the same, I'm, I believe, yes, they can be done remotely, but for me personally, it's a sacred kind of, it's a whole exchange of, you know, like love and togetherness and connection. And yeah, so I like to do it in person, but I always say have the experience and make your own decision. Um, one thing um, I wanted to ask you as well, because a big thing that has come up for me lately is talking about our experiences in practical ways. And I think it's so important now because in some circles, Reiki is considered still this woo-woo thing. But just like when you speak about how it helped you in your life, for me, I was brought to it to overcome anxiety and stress. I mean, you can't get any more practical than that, right? And I think it's important for all of us to start sharing how this work supports us, what we learn, what we experience in very practical ways so that it's understood that it's mm -hmm. for all of us. It's not just for, you know, people considered woo-woo, right? right? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you that to end with this. For anyone who is curious about Reiki or anyone already practicing, do you have any suggestions for them or words of wisdom or what would you say? I mean, Reiki is the real teacher. So if you're already a practitioner, keep doing the good work, show up, do the practice. Um, if you feel like Reiki is not getting you far enough, do more Reiki. <laughs> if life is too busy for Reiki, do Reiki anyway. Um, and if you are interested in learning more about the practice, whether, um, you know, as a uh, prospective student or someone who's looking for, um, you know, some sort of uh, integrative treatment they can use, um, give it a try, you know, visit a community kind of Reiki circle, do something where you can kind of have that informal introduction to Reiki and then kind of go from there and, and repeat it. You know, we, we don't get unwell in a day, so we don't get better in a day. Um, many times the deepest healing that we have is at the spiritual level. And these are the kinds of patterns that we have spent our whole life building, or depending mm -hmm. on your perspective, many lifetimes building. Right. Um, so we don't generally shift that in a 10 minute Reiki session. We don't see the change take place before our eyes for the things that are that long standing. We, we do see it take place before our eyes, but not all at once. Yes. Um, and so um, just be with it. I think even when we are not practitioners, we can take the wisdom that Usui gave us in terms of the Gokai. We can look at the spiritual teachings underneath the, the structure of Reiki, you know, even if we don't use the first symbol. If we're not a Reiki practitioner, we can learn the wisdom of like what the expression of its name means, where its shape comes from. We can apply that kind of wisdom to our lives. So I, I genuinely believe that Usui's goal is to make Reiki for everyone. Mm -hmm. It is not a religion. 
you don't have to be a Buddhist or a Shinto or Taoist or Christian or Muslim or, or anything. It can be nothing at all and still receive the, the benefit that Reiki gives us. And of course, we've got that woo spiritual kind of element, but you know, we are spiritual beings and we've got this physical body we walk around in all day. So um, our job is to ground that into the everyday. We have to use the practice. You have to not just you know, aim for it being therapeutic and clinical, but you know, those are things we can do with it and we can measure that. So beautiful. And you reminded me as well, I wanna tell people, um, I've said 10 times, get the book, but really get this book. Uh, but there's a section where you talk about the healing crisis, which I think mm. is something not all practitioners should read, even just that section alone. Again, yeah. beautifully done. And thank you for putting this together and all the work that you do. Speaking of which, I follow you on Facebook and see you are doing a lot of beautiful work out in this world. I mean, you're lecturing, you go to Reiki conferences, you're teaching crystal classes. I don't know how you have the time to write these books. But, oh my God. You know, at the moment I'm not writing. So that's, that's it. You know, all things in balance. Off and on. Okay. So I want to make sure everybody knows though, if they want to catch up with you, learn mm -hmm. more about crystals, go deeper into Reiki, study with you, have sessions. How can we find you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on improving the functionality of my website. You can go to that it's theluminouspearl.com um, you can send me a message right now it doesn't host a lot other than contact form and some info in my books but um you can also find me on instagram and facebook the luminous pearl yeah you know monothematic here so i'm easy to find um you can check out my publisher's website which is innertraditions.com um they'll have links to um interviews that i've done generally we try to keep some uh forthcoming events up there as well um and then um my Amazon author page for the moment also has some events on it, but um, I think, you know, if you, if you, if you Google me, I turn up, so you'll find me, send me a message. I'll let you know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing. Um, if we've got any Reiki practitioners that are going to be in the Northeast, um, I will be the keynote speaker for the Vermont Reiki Association's um, annual conference this year, and that's going to be in early October. So you can check out the VRA's website and check out their, um, their, their conference, and we are going to have a, a Reiki play day together. We're not just going to talk about this in a theoretical sense. We're going to do the practices and come together as a community. I love that. Um, so I'm going to make sure that I post the links to all of this, how to contact you, but also definitely the link to this Reiki conference, as we do have a lot of listeners in the Northeast. So um, I wish I could be there, but I'll be here for Raven is coming to San Diego. I, so I know. Yeah. Please, please give her a hug for me. Absolutely. We'll hug each other for you. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So Nicholas, I can't thank you enough for being here again. Thank you so much for this book. It is a gift. You should know this book is an absolute gift to all practitioners. So thank you. And for everyone else, thank you for joining us. Be sure to go into the show description to connect with Nicholas. Okay, so I want to give a very big thank you again to Nicholas. Thank you for coming on the podcast to share your insights with us. But again, I thank you sincerely for the beautiful work that you have created for all of us to enjoy. This is genuinely the book that I was looking for as a Reiki student, as well as someone who teaches Reiki. This book is so informative and it's beautifully done. 
So if you want more information about the book, Foundations of Reiki Rojo, a manual of Shoden and Okiden, you can find Nicholas, all of his work, all of his books on Amazon. But you can also go in the show description and find links to follow him on his website as well as Instagram. And again, if you want to go to the Vermont Reiki Association where he will be a keynote speaker this October, you can find the links to that in the show notes as well. And don't forget to hop over to theenergeticalchemist.com to get access to 22 Days of Transformation and Creating with the Moon and Stars, which are my free gifts to you. And you can also get information about Raven Keys Medical Reiki coming up in San Diego this October. So that is all for today. We have some other great shows coming up for you pretty soon. Thank you so much for being here. And remember to always journey in love.